Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Comic Source Comic Boom collaboration. Time for Spawn Daily. So if you're not familiar with what we're doing, just a quick reminder, Rocky and I are attempting to read uh, at least one issue of Spawn every day and come on and talk about it throughout the entire year of the Spawn 2022. This is the 30th anniversary of Image Comics and Spawn. And so, yeah, we'll see how it goes. So we're up to issue 20. Uh, let me give the credits real fast. We talked about the first part of this story, uh, Showtime, it's called. The story is written by Tom Orzakowski and Andrew Grossberg. Greg Capullo is the penciler. Todd McFarlane and Mark Pennington handle the inks on this particular issue. Letters by Tom Orzakowski, colors by Steve Ola. Uh, we had a lot of fun with the first part of this story, but uh, there were times where it felt a little clumsy. But that's to be understood because, uh, as we talked about at length last time, Tom Orzakowski and Andrew Grossberg have never written a comic before. Yes. So if the pacing <laughs> or something seems like it's not quite up to speed, uh, that possibly could be why. But for the most part... You know, no technical complaints about the comic at all. Um, but, yeah, you could see a, a little bit of growing pains. And especially, you know, as we talked about before, in comparison to the three-issue uh, Grant Morrison arc that we just came off of. So, um, yeah, I thought this ended up being a pretty fun story overall. What do you think, Rocky? I actually enjoyed this. Uh, this was um, – it's funny. Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's a, it's a, it's a, technically, it's a sound issue. Now, uh, I think sometimes the dialogue gets can get a little clunky here and there. I think that there were some there were some transition scene transitions that confused me a bit in some in some parts. But uh, a, a quick reread uh, and usually within 30, 45 seconds, I I figured out what was going on. And uh, and what what I appreciate about what Ozakowski has done is that he he crams a lot of story in here and he manages to. Uh, to pull it off, uh, and same with uh, Andrew Grossberg, the co-writer, with him on it, and it works. Yeah, there's a lot of information that's crammed in here, and uh, but the story it still flows. Technically, it's sound. W when I think back about the plot in these two issues, it was a lot of fun. There is, uh, again, I, I thought that th there's a lot of absurd things that we'll talk about, like absurd plot points, and the verisimilitude is a little bit difficult to uh, it's, it's kind of hard to maybe fully uh, appreciate but there's there's a there's a, almost kind of a craziness to the to to the story and the events that happen and how they progress and we'll get into it but I, again I had a lot of fun and I'm, I'm gonna really enjoy I'm, I'm gonna enjoy reviewing this issue with you and and the next one as well <laughs> yeah the, the the level of zaniness I guess has been been raised a little bit uh which is fun because we don't want the comic to take itself too seriously. And the lack of subtlety, like we've talked about before, certainly could lend itself to that. So this issue starts off and we've got Spawn in a chauffeur outfit, driving a flying Rolls Royce, uh, an old one from the thirties. And, uh, you know, pretty soon we're going to have to say the 1930s because we're going to be in 2030, which is just blows my mind. But anyway, yeah. uh, so Harry Houdini is saying, uh, my demonic friend, so many things to teach you about magic and spawns kind of like, how are we in a flying car? And he, he's like, well, technically, you know, the car's not, not flying. We, you can't defy gravity. Gravity's a law of nature. Um, what we've done is we've convinced gravity that the car's lighter than air, kind of like a blimp. <laughs> and, uh, the, we're being propelled by our exhaust. Now, uh, you know, cars don't put out a lot like exhaust doesn't have a lot of force behind it, but whatever magic uh but anyway it's it's a great opening 
uh, scene from Greg Capullo that he gets to draw on it, like immediately it, it catches your eye. You're like, wait, what's happening in this comic? So yeah. And then when you realize that's Harry Houdini, you know, your level of incredulity and enjoyment goes up another notch, or at least it did for me. So anyway, um, they follow this kid who they've uh, know has been bombing homeless people, trying to, to get rid of them around his place and around his mother's place. Um, and they, they follow him into a, a building. He goes, ah, he must be working for the mob or somebody. Meanwhile, Harry Dean is like, who cares? You know, we know where the kid is. We can catch up to him later. But I, I you know, I've, I, I've got my magician's club for some after hours fun. Um, you you want to come with me? And Spawn's like, no, I'm going to stick around and watch this kid and, you know, make sure he doesn't, doesn't hurt anyone else. So they go their separate ways. Houdini flies off in the car. Spawn's uh, waiting and watching. And he's thinking back as he looks around the surroundings, he notices his, he's uh, the Cyrillic writing. He's in little Ukraine. He thinks back to learning how to speak that language at the uh, language immersion school for the, you know, covert ops that he was a part of. And we learned that's where he met Terry Fitzgerald for the first time. And no sooner does he think of Terry Fitzgerald, kind of like a, a speak of the devil moment, then he hears Terry's voice coming from below. Terry's talking to some of the guys. Now, we know he got called at the end of last issue by his boss saying, hey, go track down this missing scientist, even though Terry himself is not a field agent. Uh, so he goes there and Spawn, being a you know, former field agent in his identity as Al Simmons, re immediately realizes this is not a good scene. Terry, maybe a little more naively, thinks, oh, it's fine when they invite him inside. And sure <laughs> enough, they start tuning, tuning him up pretty quickly. Uh, so Spawn intervenes. He says, leave him alone. That's my friend, uh, which it's like, you don't want Terry to know that you're Al Simmons, right? Like, because Terry married your wife and it, it's, it's kind of clunky here. Um, because what happens is Spawn takes these guys out and he's talking to Terry. He's calling him Terry. Uh, but maybe a silver lining of him getting beat, beat up. Uh, and again, just clunky out. Like who, who runs Hey, he's my friend. Leave him alone. Like they don't care that he's your friend. Just, I mean, <laughs> Spawn has an accent like this before, but anyway, uh, Terry's pretty much like unconscious and not really aware of his surroundings. So when he gets him outside, um, and Spawn even thinks at one point, I can't let them know. I can't let Terry know who I am. So he calls him brother instead of Terry. Um, so he's like, I, what was up with those guys? Spawn's like, I, I don't know. You, you tell me. Um, and he's like, you might want to be more careful. And he, he kind of just leaves. <laughs> now, Terry calls it in. And again, like maybe because Spawn was dressed in the chauffeur outfit, he wasn't thinking anything of it. Like he's some kind of special guy. But when he calls it in, uh, first of all, his, his boss's name is Percival Isaacson Smy, uh, or Smith, depending on how you pronounce that. Um, but what's interesting about that is the fact that like when I first saw it, I'm like, is this just a collection of random letters? Like what is, 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 is Terry messed up from the beating that he can't like pronounce? Right. And I'm like, Oh wait, no, that's actually a, that's actually a name. But man, when it's written, it looks, yeah. looks just like a ra yeah, random collection of letters. Um, but when he calls it in, he calls spawn some match crisp dude helped me out is what he says. <laughs> so yeah, kind of, kind of weird the way that he describes uh, Spawn. Now, on that same page, on the, the left-hand side there, we get the three talking heads that we've seen many, many times. And I don't know why 
entertainment television would be reporting on the fact that some uh, Eastern European scientists have showed up to uh, the U.S., even if they did, as he says it, um, do some undignified carousing. Uh, and I guess he's referring to them going to the strip club. Um, but again, I, I, like entertainment television is not going to care yeah. what some Eastern European scientists are doing. But yeah, I think you hit on a point because it's actually overused at this point. And in fact, it really becomes aggravated. Next issue is that media is is it, they must have diehard great reporters because I mean, me, media that the, the CNN reporter and, and the news broadcast here are they're overused and they know too much information. They could not know all the information it just seems very, very convenient. I mean, the leaks that must have occurred at the CIA and FBI levels in order to, to make the news aware of even uh, uh, half of 10% of what the media seems to know here. It's, it's very hard to believe. But again, again it's, it's just a, obviously it's a narrative tool just to get uh, the reader up to date and sort of like spoon feed us the information in case we haven't been able to put together what's happening so far. But it's just it's. It's if there's that one thing that's followed this series so far is that it's very easy usually to figure out what's going on because they 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 repeatedly overtell us <laughs> what's going on all the time and unnecessarily often. Yeah, and you're right, but you know, just to play devil's advocate, it is a way to get caught up. Like if this is your first issue of Spawn and you missed the first half of the story, yeah, you read these three dialogue boxes from these three reporters and you're caught up in an instant. <laughs> Yeah. It does go to show you that we got a whole issue last time where we talked about it. As far as moving the narrative forward, we didn't get a lot. There was a lot of pages, like, you know, four or five pages for Yusuf uh, Volokov to get away from his <laughs> yeah. uh, his comrades, you know, at the strip club. It's just, I don't know, it, it, pacing was a little wonky. So anyway, the CNN reporter does remind us that Yusuf Volokov is, is missing and the uh, the resident right wing guy just spouts his nonsense is not really helpful at all. Could have done with just the other two. So anyway, as Spawn is is uh, waiting for this kid to come out, we see that Volokov is is there talking to somebody, and he's asking about a, a detonator. A key electrical element was damaged on his journey, um, and so uh, the, the bo young boy that works at Radio Hut. Uh, is going to be drawn in. <laughs> Meanwhile, Spawn has overheard this, uh, and he's like, atomic weapons? Uh, there's more here than meets the eye. I don't know who this kid's working for. It must be big, though. That's why Terry apparently called for some backup. So Terry goes in with the other agents uh, and tries to figure out what's going on. Meanwhile, Harry Houdini shows up and says, hey, you know, you missed a good show, but we're going to the other one now. Hop in. Uh, and Spawn's like, I... I I can't, I got to go to Columbia University. Something big's about to go down. And Houdini's like, oh, did you peek at the tickets? That, that's uh, where we're going. We're going to Columbia University. And uh, Spawn, again, great dialogue. I knew it. The kid works for the commies. Like straight out of uh, 1950s TV show. I know. So anyway. I, I got a comment about the 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 convenience of the plot, how, how all these plot elements come together, you know, you know, with, with Terry Fitzgerald of all people showing up just at the same scene. Uh, and, and then spawn happens to be there all centered around this kid. This Ukrainian scientist is, is 
needs a has to fix a detonator for a nuclear bomb and of all places he's going to go to he might end up going to radio hut with some some kid who who who's really good at electronics happens to be the same kids that's blowing up bums in the dark alleys of i mean the the coincidences <laughs> they're funny i mean they're entertaining and it's fun to me uh but it it is that's where i said it definitely maybe lacks a degree of verisimilitude but at the same time it is it is kind of a it is funny. It, it is kind of fun. It's fun reading. And, but I mean, just as I'm reading along here, it's, it's kind of hard for me not to just sort of shake my head and smile, but it keeps me engaged. It keeps me engaged as you, as you continue to tell the story here. <laughs> yeah. I, I felt the same way. Uh, and I could have bought into it and thinking, okay, you know, the, they're Eastern European, they go to uh, little Ukraine. It's not that big. Maybe the kid, you know, it could have been handled a little bit better, but the other <laughs> aspect of it, uh, that pushes it too far for me is the fact that the kids blown up, had, you know, had blown up spawn that, I mean, that's the <laughs> thing that really pushes it. Like really? Yeah. So uh, anyway, Terry and the agents arrive at uh, Columbia university and they're asking questions. And I want to point out, they go to ask this, what looks to be a security guard, I guess, what's Volkov speaking about. And he says, demonstration of an atomic detonator. And that immediately sets off alarm bells for Terry Fitzgerald. He's like, well, what do you mean demonstration of an atomic detonator? But what I want to point out, is the security guard himself. Yeah. That security guard, the way he's drawn, that's a hundred percent Peter David. Like if you, I think it's one page before that. Uh, if you scroll back up, uh, wait, maybe what two pages. Oh, yeah. Right there. That, that security guard right there on that page is 100% Peter David circa 1993, 94, whatever. <laughs> so, uh, if you're curious and if you're curious, just, you know, do a search for Peter David headshot or whatever. He doesn't look like that anymore. Cause he doesn't have the mustache anymore. Um, or at least he didn't last time I talked to him, but that's a hundred percent Peter David from, from that era, which I found to be hilarious. Cause remember Todd, uh, McFarland drew Hulk for uh, a, a good long while. And that Peter David was, was the writer on it. So anyway, scene then shifts back to radio hut. Uh, Volokov is there. The, the kid that we've seen throughout the story is fixing the detonator and soon enough, Volkov shows up at Columbia. He's going to demonstrate the uh, detonator, uh, how the atomic bomb works. But we find out what he actually smuggled in last issue that the custom agents didn't really pay any attention to was just enough plutonium for a bomb which could level a good-sized section of the city, such as New York City. Now, despite the fact this guy's from a very poor country, he was at one point, you know, that country was at one point part of the USSR. Soviet Union, which the collapse was only less than five years previous when this comic came out. He worked in the government pro program. I guess he could have gotten his hands on some plutonium, but it's one more thing we're, we're asked to kind of stretch our belief on because uh, the Soviets kept that stuff locked down pretty well. But, you know, maybe in the collapse, uh, when things were going sideways, nobody was watching. He was able to get a little bit of plutonium. He sticks it in the bomb um, and he says the atomic bomb is primed so now instead of my lecture i'm going to present you my uh, demands my uh, ukraine is languished in poverty while her cousin russia has gained all the attention and the help from the world and so now your you and your government shall loan my ukraine 1.5 billion dollars 1 billion per kiloton of my device here so it's a one uh 1.5 kiloton device which yeah that's gonna pretty much level new york city but what's also interesting and a sign of the times is the fact that he's only asking for $1.5 billion to restore a country. You know, today that number would be in the yeah. trillions, right? 
it, it, it's hard not to think of Austin Powers. You know, that scene, I want, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Evil, you know, dollars. one million dollars. <laughs> it's yeah. a, the only thing uh, missing is the pinky finger in the mouth, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, the agents that are with Terry draw their guns. So does Terry. So Terry Fitzgerald, despite not being a, an agent, a field agent, has a gun. Maybe the other field agents gave him one after he got his butt kicked. Uh, Harry Houdini pulls out a gun as well. And Spawn, again, great dialogue. Guns! Commies with guns, uh, and <laughs> Houdini. It's a great, it's a great, again, great rendering, great uh, depiction of Houdini from Capullo. Uh, he says, and a sorcerer with a bigger gun, he pulls out this giant, just jackhammer of a gun, looks like straight out of Dirty Harry, uh, with a you know long barrel. Meanwhile, all the demons or whatever the creatures are, the magical creatures in the overlap are like, okay, great, now we're gonna. We're going to be able to test our new experiment. Spawn, the hell spawn is there. The bomb is there. Uh, we'll find out what happens to a hell creature with atomic bombardment. Um, so, yeah, this, this is great. They're excited. So the the kid, which I didn't even know the kid went, but apparently the kid showed up uh, as well. And so they use him as a hostage. Some of Volkov's men grab him, pull him out from behind. Uh, like the wings of the stage and put him on stage with a gun to his head saying, Hey, put your guns down. Um, otherwise we're gonna, gonna hurt you and, or, or hurt this kid. And one of the uh, goons even fires at Terry Fitzgerald spawn, you know, immediately reacts, you know, no jumps in front, takes a couple bullets to the chest and one in the face, which that's going to be important later. We'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah. There's stuff there, but um, anyway, once the guns start going off, a bunch of people run for the exits and, uh, Volkov's thinking, man, this could have been so simple. Uh, I guess I'll start the timer, and he hits the button, and sure enough, the timer. Now, remember, this is the, the timer, the detonator that the kid repaired. Uh, and so he yells through the microphone, I've started the timer. Everybody stop firing. This is going to be the end. So everybody kind of calms down, and he says, okay, uh, I'll return your lives to you now. And he hits the button to stop the timer, but it doesn't stop. So apparently the kid wasn't quite as good with electronics as he thought he was. Uh, so I, Houdini, this is this is a shocking moment for me because I can't, I mean, this is totally shocking. I mean, he, he, he got this detonator fixed by a kid at, at radio hack or radio hut. Yeah. I mean, of course yep. it's going to, how can it not work? I mean, he, he went to such a high quality institution to get this detonator fixed. I mean, I'm just, I'm stunned. Yeah. I, you're, that's a, that's a fair point for sure. <clears throat> so anyway, Houdini thinks, okay, well, uh, my bit's done. I'm to get out of here. Right. Like, He's got the bomb about to go off. It's set to go off in 15 seconds. He's manipulated those events. He's manipulated events so that Spawn is there. So he hits a little button on his wristband, which is supposed to teleport him out of there, I'm assuming. Uh, and instead, it just kind of goes on the fritz, and we see little sparks of uh, electricity shoot out of it. And he realizes he's been set up. He's like, those schmucks, they've shut me out again. You know what? It's time I, I gave them a piece of my mind. And so he concentrates. And he thinks of, of where he is. He's like, this is just another trap. I just got to find my pathway. I just got to visualize, figure out how I'm going to get out of this. And all the while, the the, uh, the timer's ticking down. And all the guys in the overlap are like, this is the moment, you know, to think here. Uh, we feared Houdini's revolution talk. And, like, he was going to take over. He would outsmart us. Like, this is great. Like, we're running the experiment. And not only do we get the answer to the questions we want, but we're also taking out Houdini, who... who you know, who has uh, admitted, he himself has admitted 
that he likes to pull practical jokes on these guys and pranks and be an annoyance to the guys in the overlap. So when the blast goes off, uh, and it's again, a great scene, great page layout from Capullo, Houdini is, he's like, concentrate, focus, uh, transmute the blast, transmit the blast. Uh, and what he manages to do is he manages to send the blast. He transports the blast. He teleports the blast to the overlap. So uh, when all is said and done, everybody at Columbia just sees a flash and then nothing. Like nothing happens. They're, they're, not, they're not hurt. They're not harmed. Um, but Houdini is missing as well. And Spawn picks up his cloak and he says, ah, he, he got fried. Damn, I had so much to still learn from Houdini. If it really was Houdini, Spawn has his, uh, has his doubts. And everybody else who was there is wondering, you know, what happened? Uh, apparently there was a Geiger counter down the hall uh, that went off just for a moment and uh, then went completely silent, even to the point that background radiation levels were flat, which, you know, doesn't happen. There's always a little bit of background radiation going on. That's just, you know, life in our galaxy. Um, and so Volk Volokov is arrested. The kid is arrested. Um, and witnesses talk about the fact that there was this brief flash and then everything disappeared. So they're trying to figure out uh, what's going on. White part of the stage is blackened. Spawn sneaks out the back and everything is hunky-dory, right? Everything is, is sort of resolved. Um, so Spawn goes to leave and he starts thinking about some of the things that Houdini taught him, like leaving the car, making it invisible, just concentrate, use the costume, not his own powers, the costume to rearrange the photons, make the car appear, and it actually works. So he's like, great, I'll be able to get out of here. Uh, but there's no key. So once again, he uses his powers. I'll just manifest the key. He does. And as soon as he does, that was sort of the last test. <laughs> uh, and maybe also in a way, Houdini playing a prank on Spawn. As soon as he manifests the key, the car <laughs> disappears and Spawn falls on his butt. So... Meanwhile, because there was no actual blast and nothing left of the bomb, they didn't really have any evidence to hold the kid. So the charges are dropped against him, Porsche McNeil. Uh, I'm sure all the uh, Ukrainians and you know Eastern European scientists were either, uh, you know, got an offer to defect or were deported. Uh, but anyway, Porsche McNeil, the kid, goes back home and he he says, "Hey, somebody's been here. What like what's going on?" And as soon as he walks in, there's a bit of an explosion. But it turns out it's not actually a harmful explosion. Confetti comes raining down. One of the pieces of confetti says, don't ever mess with me or my alley again. Or the next one takes out you and the whole building and it signs Spawn. So I guess Spawn's letting the, the cat out of the bag, as it were, in terms of no secret identity or, or what have you. Uh, meanwhile, we see the devastation, the bomb rot in, uh, in the overlap, including <clears throat> some of the goons from the that were working for Volkov from from the demonstration are there and and surprisingly they didn't die in the blast um which you think if it was a 1.5 billion uh ton blast they would have uh but anyway uh it doesn't take long before they're attacked by the ne'er-do-wells of the overlap so i don't know they maybe would have preferred to have died <laughs> in the nuclear blast because they're probably going to not enjoy their time there. So meanwhile, we see that Houdini has returned to 1916 uh, as he emerges from a tank uh, of water in a locked uh, footlocker, padlocked. And as they open the padlock up, he 
it's it's empty, but then he uh, shows pops up on stage and hey, look what I did, what have you. So I guess we're to understand because we saw this sequence of him being lowered into the water when the uh, when the first uh, the first part of the story started. I guess we're supposed to believe that all this all these events happened in the time that he was doing this uh, experiment uh, or this escape on stage for his his audiences. So all in all, a fun story. Uh, it does kind of stretch the believability at times. And again, we know that this is a story of an undead guy who's got magical powers from hell and there's a war between heaven and hell. So there, there's a lot to, to spend your disbelief on. But yeah, the coincidences in, in this one um, are, are pretty big. But overall, the thing that... It, the thing that I'm left with, the overall impression I'm left with, is just, just really a fun story. The fact that it's Houdini, that teaching Spawn, like a, a major revelation, like we talked about last time, uh, of the ability to use powers or, or have powers, have, uh, have a formidable skill that doesn't actually drain his own life force, that, that's a big deal. Uh, and again, Houdini, it's fun. Cold War stuff, fun. Does the dialogue get hokey? Yes. Are there coincidences? Yes. But I'm, I'm going to give these... Uh, writers, uh, you know, a lot of leeway. It's their first time writing a comic and, uh, you know, it was entertaining. So, and that's ultimately, that's the bottom line. That's their job to entertain me. And they, and it worked. And the Capullo art was fantastic as always. So, uh, so what are your thoughts, Rocky? Well, uh, first thing is, uh, first thought is, is in regard to Houdini himself. Uh, it, you know, Houdini, uh, I, I still have a lot of questions about Houdini. He seems to be, uh, he seems to, Houdini seems to have been able to access a lot of the his knowledge of magic through the um, through the overlap, and this I'm curious about this the the leader of the overlap he's called the Prime he's the oldest creature of the overlap he seems to be they seem to have the agenda that they want to know how a spawn how a hell spawn will react to a nuclear explosion even that seems really odd to me I mean is it do you really like I guess if you want to know if you want to know how a nuclear explosion will deal with a hell spawn. I guess that's a legitimate question to ask. It just seems, um, it just seems that if if they're so powerful in the overlap, I mean, Houdini seems very powerful here. So why don't if Houdini actually is a member of the overlap, but yet he's got a clearly a dysfunctional relationship with them, such that he even sends a nuclear bomb back into the overlap. I'm not sure what the nature of his relationship with the overlap is. Houdini seems to have as dysfunctional relationship with the overlap as Spawn does to Melbrosia. So in that respect, Houdini has the has, has something in common with Spawn. Houdini seems to have, perhaps have his magic powers enhanced by his connection to the Overlap. I think, in the same way that Spawn Al Simmons gets his powers via the Devil Malbrosia, and yet they it's like they're they're both rebels. They're the black sheep. Spawn's the sort of like the black sheep of the family of Hell, and Houdini's the black sheep of the family of the Overlap. And so I kind of like that dichotomy there, that interplay back and forth. Perhaps a minor criticism of this, and again, I, I had fun with this story, so I, I am nitpicking on this, but a minor criticism might be that I think Houdini maybe comes across as, I would say, maybe a little bit too powerful here. Uh, it was Houdini here that really saved the day. I thought it was a little bit Duke Machina how he just, he's like, I mean, e even at the end, you know, that the lack of nuance, I mean, Houdini didn't just win the day. He not only eliminated the, the bomb, he absorbed all the radiation. I mean, they, you know, they really need to make the point that he just, you know, I would have, I would have liked to have seen some consequence of the nuclear explosion. <laughs> you know, I mean, he didn't, you know, it was just extraordinary the the degree of success that he had 
It was really kind of, uh, I think, over the top. Also, uh, apparently U.S. Customs back in the early 90s were really bad. This is definitely pre-9-11 because these, these scientists from the Ukraine could easily smuggle in a nuclear weapon uh, and didn't have a problem. And, and apparently universities, you can go to a university and ask to give a lecture on nuclear bombs and they won't ask. And, and you're allowed to bring, you know, they don't, you know, they don't vet you to make sure you're not actually bringing a nuclear bomb to the presentation. So there's a couple of things that make my heart go, hmm, I, I don't think that would happen that way. But uh, again, uh, it, this builds in the, on the mythology. And that's what I really like about it. I like, uh, I like this Houdini. I like the fact that apparently he can, you know, uh, I didn't think that he was actually existing in 1916 as well. I, but yet he actually, as you said, it was interesting to learn at the end that he was actually he can he can travel through time and space. I thought I, for some reason I assumed wrongly that Houdini was just immortal, that he didn't die, and that he obviously escaped death. But maybe he, I guess he didn't. He just he's he's living in his own time frame. He just happens to be able to time travel to different points in time and save and and help people. So uh, it, that's interesting. Uh, and um, so I'm not sure it's we. So now we have we've got. We've got the agents of the hell. We've got the agents of heaven with the agent, agent satellite. And we've got this, this overlap, which is a place of magic. And we've got all these agents of hell and agents of heaven and agents of the overlap. And we got now Houdini on uh, where we've had Jason Wynn, anti spawn, spawn, spawn L Simmons. And now as an agent of the overlap, we have Houdini. So we've got soldiers from all these different areas, uh, taking shape here and again this is just issue 20 so yeah kudos to uh to, to mcfarlane and working with all these different writers and as you said even though uh Oslowski is maybe a, a inexperienced writer here it's only his second kick at the cat because he wrote last issue along with grosenberg or whatever his name is um so what you know overall well done i had fun with this issue yeah i i, I agree it was a lot of fun um i i wonder how much it you know, was it Orzakowski's idea? Was it McFarland's idea? Hey, why don't you take a crack at, at writing something? Maybe it was Grossberg. I don't know. They don't write anymore. It's just these two issues for their comic writing career. But I don't know. Maybe it was so they could get into cons and say that. I mean, he was uh, Orzakowski is already a letterer. Maybe they, San Diego Comic Con wasn't giving out passes for letters. I mean, back then, I feel like they were letting any pro in. You know, it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't a thing back then. Anyway, interesting to speculate on. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about the, the distribution of this. There's a note in the next issue uh, for something that I'd forgotten and that we'll talk about uh, in terms of timing. So uh, anyway, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, really fun issue. Hope you guys are all enjoying uh, these daily spawns. So we want to thank you for joining us as always. Don't forget, if you're listening to the audio only, you can head over and watch us on uh, YouTube on Rocky's channel. Just search for, do a search for Comic Space Boom! Exclamation point. Subscribe to the channel so you don't miss out on any episodes, both Spawn Daily and the other content that Rocky puts out. Like this video, ring the notification bell. All of that really helps uh, helps out. Conversely, if you're checking us out on YouTube and you want to be sure to not miss any of the other content or interviews that we do on uh, the auto, audio-only channel, just go to your favorite podcasting app or platform, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, whatever it might be. Do a search for the comic source and subscribe there. So uh, once again, I want to thank everybody for joining, and we'll talk to you next time. Catch you later. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. 
Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.